Good morning from St. Peter, Minnesota. It's February 11th, and it's nice and cold up here. Uh, it's the best day of the week, though. We got one more day until the weekend, and even better, it's uh, it's the first day of the PGA Tour event. Let's let's get her going. How you doing, Crashy? Doing very good. It's a great morning. Really excited to watch the uh, coverage of the golf tonight. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And what better way to start off the day with just a great Jordan Spieth story from Jake Owen. On PGA Tour's website, they've got this press conference between Jake Owen and Jordan Spieth, and Jake Owen just has this crazy story. He was back a couple months ago playing with Jordan in uh, Vero Beach, Florida, and he was out there with, it was Jake Owen, his dad, and Jordan, and there are like a thousand people watching just because it's the world number one, and Jake Owen says that Spieth is in the fairway from 98 yards away, and he looks at Jake Owen, and they're playing a little money match, and he says, I'm, I'm going to make this. And Jake Owen's kind of like, oh, yeah, whatever, whatever. So Jordan steps up to the shot, hits it, and says, pay up. As the ball's in the air, and Jake Owen says, normal people just do not do this. And sure enough, it lands three feet behind the pin, sucks back, and goes in the hole. So they decided to throw a, a plaque in the fairway right there. That's a great story. Just shows you the ability, obviously. And it would be one thing if that was the only story, too, about him, but it just seems like there are so many like that and probably so many that we don't even know about, yeah. which is what makes the kids so special. Just hitting the shots when you need to. Yeah, exactly. And we got a lot more that we want to talk about today. We want to talk just about the the slow play state of the tour and then uh, talk about what it's like for these guys to play in bad weather conditions, maybe what the worst weather conditions are to play in. Uh, but slow play, I mean, what do you got in this? Do you think it's a huge issue on tour right now? I, at some, I would say some guys are problems, um, but as a whole, I don't think it's really all that bad. I mean, when you have all these guys on the course, at some point, somebody's going to hit one offline and have to look for a ball, and, you know, that stuff's just going to happen. It's not always, you know, going to be straight down the fairway and on the green, and, and straightforward like that, there's always points where you're going to be getting getting caught up and groups are going to catch you right and with 156 guys in the course uh what was that thing that gf ogilvy said he said something like it's like rush hour in la there's just the the course can't fit that many people it wasn't designed to have 156 players on it at one time Right, so naturally it's going to be a little slower, but at the same time there have to be some things that they can do just to speed it up a little bit. And I know they're playing for, you know, millions of dollars at some times on for a lot of the events. But what do you think about no rangefinders on tour still? I mean, is that kind of archaic? Yeah, I think they're just really trying to preserve the the state of the game and the, the history of it. God, and that kind of pisses me off, honestly. Yeah, it's pretty old school, but... It's pretty old school, and with professional caddies, they're going to get the number right. It's just going to take them 20 to 30 seconds longer to go find a yardage plaque or look in their yeah. book and then tell them the number when they could just pull out the rangefinder, buzz the number, and that's really not yeah. going to give anyone an advantage. I just think that the tour wants to keep the part of the game where the caddies have to go out week prior to the event first couple of days you know monday tuesday and they just really map it out you know they do all these distances they and they use range finders obviously yeah because they can use range finders <laughs> yeah. in the practice rounds but they do it they do it before and just get it in their book so they I mean they got all the numbers so it just 
kind of weird in that way. Yeah, I imagine that it would still be beneficial, though, for guys to play practice rounds, even if they could use rangefinders, and caddies would still probably have the numbers. It would just take away certain times. If they do hit one offline or if they're not in the exact spot they want to be, they can just whip out the rangefinder, buzz the number, and then go from there. Right. And you can still use the pin sheets and stuff to be more precise. but Yeah, and I'm sure their pin sheets are down to the half yard. and Oh, yeah, just as exact as it can be. So the distances could maybe speed it up a little bit if they have a rangefinder. But then you look at guys just with their pre-shot routine and standing over the ball. And uh, Golf Digest did a study where Ricky Fowler is the fastest player of the guys that they did the study on, and he's taking like 16 seconds to, to you know, once he gets his club in hand and then takes a practice swing and gets in and hits it, he's about 16 seconds. And then a guy like Kevin Na is, I think, at 51 or 52 seconds for yeah. standing over the ball. And that's gotten faster, too. Like, that's the faster time. I would... Uh... I would like to see his average that year. He was leading the player. I think it was the year Kuchar won the players. Yeah. He was leading for most, you know, throughout the good portion of the event, you know, third, fourth round, I think. And that's when he was backing off. People were yelling at him, hit the ball. <laughs> he would back off again, just make matters worse. And it seems like those, when we have those instances of players taking excessive amounts of time to play, it only seems like those are the times when soul play is brought up. You know, you won't hear anything about it this week. No. You know, unless somebody does something crazy and is in the lead and is taken forever on the Sunday afternoon. Yeah, right. And I think that players, too, they talked about Kevin Na's slow play like 60% of the time. Like, that was their analysis, was let's talk about Kevin Na backing off the ball 18 times before he hits it. Yeah, it's just something to focus on for the media. And, and when was the last time that a slow play penalty affected the, the outcome of a tournament? I can't, I don't know if it's ever even affected the outcome of a tournament. I think I saw it was probably 23 years ago or so at the Byron Nelson, and what happened to the guy is they penalized him, and then... Hit one of his punishments was to play in the final group in the next two events. Really? Yeah, they they stuffed him back, you know, so nobody had to wait for him. Wow. But the poor guys that had to play with him obviously got a little shafted on the deal, but... Wow, that's crazy, and that was 23 years ago. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and you see guys get get warnings now uh, fairly, fairly often. Like, yeah, they'll put them on the clock, but... Mm-hmm. I was reading a couple more articles, and it, players were saying, yeah, it's just a joke. You know, once you're out here long enough, you realize they're not going to penalize you, so why would you speed up and, you know, rattle yourself, just keep doing what you're doing? Yeah, I, do you think that they could ever switch to, uh, like, the AJGA style of play, the AJGA get cracking pace <laughs> of play brought to you by the Pistachios Company? I mean, could they ever do that where... They've got one guy that has to, once he finishes putting out, he has to walk to the next tee and get ready to hit his shot before the other guys are finished out. Just to speed up play so you're yeah. always, you know, moving. I I mean, I just feel like that would take take a while to get used to for the guys on tour. Right, and it would take away, you know, maybe some of the camaraderie or yeah. whatnot, what have you. Yeah, but. some of the competition even, seeing a guy make a putt and then you got to stand there and watch him right exactly roll in one right after you yeah um and another interesting thing i came across Maltby, roger Maltby. 
Yeah. Um, he had something interesting. He said, you know, maybe we shouldn't penalize them. Maybe we should provide them with an incentive. So say you give them their scorecard and you say mm-hmm. on the first day and you say, all right, in in four hours and 15 minutes, if you give it back to me before that, one shot off your score. If mm-hmm. you don't, one shot added or, so, you know, something wow. along those lines. And I thought that was pretty crazy. I mean, that that's, yeah, that's I'm sure it would work. Wild. I'm sure it would work, but. Is that do you would you really want something like that? I did. I would have a hard time agreeing to that if I was a guy on tour. Just because if you do hit one of those shots offline where you're looking for balls, it just seems like there are so many uh, different possibilities of things that could happen. Right. It would just bring a whole new element, and you would be thinking about, oh, now I got to start playing fast, and you could get penal or not get the reward if your playing partner does it, not even yourself. So in that way, you can kind of be, I wouldn't say, you could be not rewarded, not because of yourself, but because of who you're playing with. And that just brings it back to, is slow play really that big of an issue where ultimately I think you want the guy that's playing best that week to win the tournament? Right, that's what it comes down to. And if you happen to come in at four four hours and 20 minutes uh every day and you have to add a shot each round i mean four shots is way more that's i mean we've seen golf tournaments decided by you know inches when you add a shot every round i mean that's gonna that would probably change the outcome of a lot of events or could even be an eight shot swing just because a guy's getting in on time yeah exactly of course roger maltby would come up with something like that so the forecast this week at Pebble looks just about perfect. Upper upper 60s to low 70s all week. Sunny, just going to make us jealous the whole time that we want to be out yeah. there. I think I saw the highest wind on one of the days. It was 8, uh, eight or 10 miles per hour. So that's not too bad. I mean, kind of a contingency plan, I think, for the podcast. Once we get this puppy over about 50 listeners, once we get her up into the, you know, the one, two million range, we'll probably uh, start going on tour with the guys so we can experience the good weather, too. I mean, that's kind of really where I see this going. So definitely don't be afraid to pass that on to your friends. So tangent aside, though, we got great weather this week, but what's it like for these guys to play in in bad weather? I mean, we saw it at Torrey Pines. Yeah, the most recent example, I mean, Phoenix was perfect, but... Tory was well, that's that uh Sunday was just brutal. They had had some gusty winds and colder temps, a little bit of rain. You you got everything in the mix there. Yeah, when they're playing a 430-yard par 4 and guys are hitting driver 3 wood and coming up short, I'd say the winds playing a pretty big factor and the scoring average was 78. Yeah, I think maybe even slightly higher, but yeah. Which makes Snedeker's 69 that day that much more impressive. <laughs> Nine shots better than the average round. That'd be like shooting Six. 60, 61 in most events. Yeah. You guys are shooting a couple under par. That's damn good. So what do you think the worst conditions are for guys to play in? Do you think it's rain, wind, cold, hurricane? I'd say probably cold, cold and wind. I mean, the rain, you had a good point earlier. You said, we were talking, you said, yeah. you know, the the caddies are so good on tour that, you know, they got umbrellas and towels and they got it, you know, they're fine there on that front. But yeah, even the worst caddies are going to know if there's even the slightest chance of rain that they're going to have an umbrella, about 18 towels in the bag. 
and just extra I mean, gloves. Yeah, you name it. The player, the player's barely even going to know it's raining. I mean, his yeah. clubs are going to be perfectly dry every time he hits. He's going to have the best rain equipment. Yeah, they've got, I was going to say they've got perfect rain gear. So if it's raining with no wind, I bet the scoring almost. I mean, it's going to be softer. It could even be the same, or maybe a shot better potentially yeah. if if uh, if the course uh, plays easier when it's softer. Yeah, if it's not a torrential downpour, obviously, but. Right. So, I mean, and they never really play in the cold. The way that the schedule sets up, they're in the best locations for the best part of the year. So, like, they're in California in January, February. Mm-hmm. And then they go down to Florida when it's March and the rain season kind of starting to stop. And then they finally, you know, venture to the Midwest in, in June <laughs> when, right. it's, when it's nice up here. Right. And then they, they stay up north a little more for most of the summer seems like yeah yeah i i always find it interesting to see the guys play when there's 25 mile per hour winds just to see kind of because you can definitely see that there are guys that can handle it and guys that can't Mm -hmm. and you know who can't handle it bubba watson (laughs) bubba bubba should thrive in it with his creativity as much as i rip on him i mean the guy should be able to play so good in the wind He's got a wedge in his hand and it winds straight left to right, thirty miles an hour. He should be able to hold one up in there and probably hit it dead at it. You know, you'd hope so. But when his spin rates are through the roof and he doesn't know how to get the spin down, yeah, that's a very good point. Then I just—I mean, I'm not going to trust his game in the wind. But yeah, he, what's his best ever finish at a British? Do you think a made cut, maybe? <laughs> That'd be an interesting one to find out. Yeah, it would be. So, guys like, I mean, I know Zach Johnson plays well in the wind. Jordan Spieth plays really well in the wind. But it definitely, there's a, a bigger range of scores in the wind. You'll see guys yeah. shoot 82, but then you'll still see guys play well and maybe shoot a 67, 68. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to uh, depend on kind of what you, where you grow up. Yeah. What your ball flight, obviously your spin has a lot to do with it, but where you grow up. A guy yeah. like, yeah, guys like Jimmy Walker and Jordan Spieth growing up in Texas, they're, I mean, they're used to playing in the wind, so they had to have a wind ball when they were playing junior golf and and growing up, yeah. but then... You think about those guys over over in England playing the Lynx, Scotland, you know, Ireland, all that. They're built for that. Mm-hmm. Shane Lowry comes to mind. Darren Clark. Padraig Harrington. As much as I want us to keep listing off obscure uh, European players, uh, I think we finally hit a lull in the weather conversation. And let's talk about some salsa. Doc E's Life-Changing Salsa, presented by GSE General Benefit Corp. Great salsa for a better cause. Three different types of salsa. You can find it on Amazon, Amazon or... Doc E's salsa dot com. com. Doc E's salsa dot com. It's it's some damn good salsa. Really I'm just gonna salsa. Yeah, they got the roasted corn, roasted bean, and roasted ripe olive. Is that correct? That, that is very things? correct. Among other wonderful ingredients. So don't be afraid to either go to your local grocery store like a Lunds or Byerly's. You can and you pick can, some of that up. You can find those locations on their website. 
Obviously at DocESalsa.com. DocESalsa.com. So we were talking about salsa. Let's get this transition back into golf. Salsa, there's salsa dancing. That's kind of an individual sport. And golf is an individual sport. So what really are the worst conditions to play in? I mean, you've seen tournaments get shortened to 54 holes and guys are sitting in the clubhouse for almost the entire weekend just waiting to see when they can actually get back out there. I mean, is there anyone that actually thrives in conditions like that? Surprisingly, Dustin Johnson is a guy who comes to mind when you say that. This guy loves 54-hole events. Guy has three of his, what, eight or nine wins? Three of his nine wins. Um, I think he won Pebble one year when it was really windy that final day. Was that 2008? Yep. That was his first win on tour, I think. Yes. First or second. And then he won that playoff event, the Barclays, in 2011, I think. And then I don't remember what year it was. Kapalua, he won. That was probably... 2012 or 2013. Yeah, one of those two years, so... The guy uh, the guy just loves his 54-hole events. I don't know what else to say about it. Maybe it's because he's able to get into the clubhouse. and I mean, those were all uh, pre-rehab, so he's able to go in, get a little nostril booster, and, and then head back out on the course and really fire it up. Yeah, you never know. He does have that calm demeanor, too, where it seems like he maybe wouldn't get rattled by not playing consistently. You know, he... I'm sure he just goes out for fun and plays like six holes sometimes just for the <laughs> hell of it. So it's raining and really cold today. I'll go play some golf. Got nothing better to do. Yeah, I could definitely see him winning a couple more 54-hole events yeah, that that's, get shortened. That's very well within his reach. And that 2011 Barclays, I think they decided that it was going to be 54 holes uh, earlier on, because there was like a it huge was, hurricane or something yeah. coming in on the East Coast. Yeah, it was very, uh, very wet that week. Mm-hmm. And they kind of had an idea that that was going to be a 54-hole event from the start, and right. still it got becomes, the W. becomes more of a, a race, you know, than a, than a journey. And Dustin Johnson's in the field this week at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am playing with Wayne, uh, who do you like to win this week, and what do you think the winning score is going to be? I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go a little with the dark horse here, a little dark horse. I'm thinking Steve Stricker at 17 under par. Stricker at 17 under. See, I think they're going to take it deeper than that this week, and I'll take someone you know, a non-big name, but a guy that's been playing great as of late, the old Fijian. VJ Singh, and I think he's going to win at 20 or 21 under par. I'll go 21 under par. I think All they're right. I think they're going to light it up this week. Well, they've got perfect conditions for it. And so. they'll, they'll be ready to torch it up. That's all we got for you this week. Uh, we're looking to get a special guest in here. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but he is a prolific uh, left-handed scorer, and he may give a little preview of a uh, big Division One golf tournament coming up next week. Uh, so listen in next week. We, uh, we should be on iTunes by Wednesday of next week and we'll, we'll get that link out and still don't be afraid to email at around the greens pod at gmail.com. Yep. Yep. Send those emails in. We love to hear that feedback. Love to hear the feedback and anything else you want us talking about, but let's get after it and have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. People living like they ain't got no mamas. Addicted to the drama, only attracted to things that bring the trauma. Overseas, yeah, we trying to 
stop terrorism, but we still got terrorists here living in the USA, the big CIA, the Bloods and the Crips and the KKK. But if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate. And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get irate. Yeah, madness is what you demonstrate. And that's exactly how anger works and operates. Man, you gotta have love just to set it straight. Take control of your mind and meditate. Let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all. People killing, people dying. Children hurt and you hear them crying. And you practice what you preach. And what you turn the other cheek. 